hello, hello. Welcome to San Diego 350's New Energy Podcast. My name is Sebastian Fay, and I will be speaking to three lovely people today, Joe Hold, Lori Mendez, and Rose Hanscom. Um, and they are all members of the uh, Climate Action... Climate Reality Project. Project. Reality Project. Yeah. Right. And Climate Action, Climate Policy, Policy Pod. Yes, the Climate Policy Pod of the Climate Reality Project. <laughs> there we go. Got it. All right. So I'm going to start today because we are zooming in on Kumeyaay lands. Um, and I want to just give a land acknowledgement. They are people whose traditional lifeways intertwine with a worldview of earth and sky in a community of living beings. This land is part of a relationship that has nourished, healed, protected, and embraced the Kumeyaay people to the present day. It is part of a worldview founded in the harmony of the cycles of the sky and balance in the forces of life. It is important for us to pay our respects for the past, present, and future generations of Kumeyaay people. So, um, again, welcome to New Energy Podcast. And I just want to start, um, I'll, I'll go with you, Joe, first. You just start with a brief background about yourself and your journey so far so the audience can learn a little bit about you and have some context for this conversation. Sure. Uh, I operated a small business for decades, traveling the world, consulting and lecturing. And in 2018, attended the climate reality training with Al Gore and got vitally interested in the climate challenges. Have since joined both 350 and the uh, San Diego Green New Deal Alliance, where I co-lead uh, the Transforming, Transforming Political Power uh, Committee. Rose, you? Hi, I'm Rose Hanscom. I'm retired from Francis Parker School. And for years, I taught chemistry and biology and uh, environmental science. I taught environmental science for the last 10 years and boy, has the public um, understanding of climate change really, it's just drastically different. I had so many students when I started just really didn't believe in climate change. So I'm so glad. And I gave a, a talk to grandparents and one of the grandparents said, I think you should you train for climate reality. And so I, I trained the same year Joe did too. And uh, you taught my brother, I think. And, and I know, Sebastian, <laughs> I missed you. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I started teaching in 1980 there. So yeah. I, I just missed you somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just different you were smart. <laughs> but I think it's, I definitely agree with you. It has become mainstream. You know, the, the, the narrative has shifted. Um, it's, it's more about action at this point, I think. Yes, and social and justice, yeah. Mm -hmm. Social transformation, yes. Lori, you're next. Yes, thank you. Um, thank, I'm grateful for teachers like Rose to, that have uh, done all that work in the trenches to get us to this point where it's about action. Um, I am Lori Mendez. I am an attorney by day and I practice civil litigation, so I don't exactly do environmental law. Um, however, I have always been interested in the environment and the natural world and restoring it and rewilding and preserving. Um, I love animals and I look at that, I think we are animals, first of all, but this is the habitat of all animals, our planet, and we need to um, preserve it and take care of it, nourish it for all animals, including ourselves. Um, I believe in the right to healthy food, healthy air, healthy land, um, what more, good education, good healthcare system. So call me what you want, but that's what I believe in, that all human beings should have those rights. And um, all animals on the planet should have the right to live out their lives naturally as possible. So um, having said that, I went back to Scripps a few years ago in um, 2018. I got a degree, a master's degree in biodiversity and conservation of the ocean. Um, there's so much that's going on with the ocean. It's uh, being assaulted in so many ways. And my particular focus was single-use plastics. I'll discuss a little bit of that. Uh, some it's sometime here um, during this podcast. And Thank that's you. the Scripps Oceanography Institute, right? Correct. Scripps Institution of Oceanography. Oceanography right. Yeah, yeah. Right yes. It's beautiful. Um, and while I was there, somebody suggested that I go through climate reality training and <laughs> such. So you have to do this. So I also trained in 2018 up in LA with uh, thousands of other people, and, and Al Gore was there. 
And anyway, I've been on the um, climate policy pod with these amazing folks ever since. Awesome. So, I mean, it sounds like you've already answered my next question in the sense of how did you join? It seems like everybody, re somebody referred you um, and then you went to the training and then you, you know, got, got enthusiastic, you got all pumped up and, and you started, you know, working, working as a team on this stuff. So, um, I mean, I guess I just will jump into my next part, which is like, what have, what have you been working on as this policy pod? I mean, obviously we'll talk about the main focus, but, but aside from that, I think that would be good to kind of understand the activities that are going on. Before we get into that, can I just say the history was, I went to a training with a couple of others through the Climate Reality Project up in LA. And the idea was at the time, a couple of years ago, was just to get us on board in San Diego County with the Paris Climate Agreement, because okay. we weren't doing that on a national level. So like with the teaching and how it's progressed, um, we were only hopeful that we could do that. We met with one staffer for um, Nathan Fletcher, and she basically told us, I'll just tell you, she just said, forget it. Don't even try right now. So we gave up for a while. You were there, right, Rose? I think. Well, so anyway, we gave up for a while, and now we're amazing things have happened. There's been, you know, changes of administration nationally and thankfully locally, and uh, that's all I wanted to mention as background. Great, yeah, I appreciate that. And and you do you don't need to mute yourself <laughs> in this conversation. Okay, thank you. <laughs> don't worry about that. Um, um, so yeah, I, I guess just any anything further on on how the team works, how how you often you meet, you know, what do you what are you working on, Joe? Right now we're meeting about twice a month, and our the the chapter the San Diego chapter of the Climate Reality Project was reorganized recently, and. Following that, we started working on the letter to the city of San Diego for their CAP update. Uh, we have begun working on a letter to the county and just uh, have a draft document for the county focused on uh, not only the topics that we address in the San Diego letter, uh, but deepening the analysis of superpower, which is a topic that I think is extraordinarily important and we'd love the city, the county to take on, possibly the city also. It's not really being addressed or, or spoken about much in the county yet, but we hope to change that. Explain what is the superpower you speak of? Well, the, the idea is based on some modeling done by a company, an organization called Rethink X. It, uh, based at Stanford, uh, with Stanford people. Uh, the models suggest that we can invest a modest amount of money to not only replace a, all of our carbon fuels with renewable energy, but for a small increment, more than double the amount of energy that's produced in the county and the state and basically drive the marginal cost of energy down close to zero. The, the current model says that we can get down to 1.2 to 1.8 cents that range per kilowatt hour to produce uh, clean energy, whereas SDG&E charges 35 cents to you know, consumers. So we're, ta we're talking about a dramatic change and the moment you have large quantities of excess marginally uh, is near near zero marginal cost energy there are all kinds of business opportunities and new processes that can uh, be imagined and and take place that will a attract business to the county and uh, create a large number of jobs and b help us deal with the emissions that uh, are driving the climate problem. Okay, so I just wanna break this down so our listeners and everybody can understand a little better, just kind of in more simple jargon basically. So from what I understand, the climate action plan was implemented by the city in 2015. That was, the, the, the city set some goals of where they wanted to go, right? And they wanted to get to the zero, 100% uh, renewable energy and you know reduce our greenhouse gas emissions drastically, if not completely. And so basically part of uh, the, 
and the, and the problem is they set the goal and then how do you get there? Right. And, and that's right. what the, the, the plan is all about. And that's kind of where, where your team is stepping in and saying, we have, we've done this analysis. We've looked at all the different sectors of emissions and these are the levers you should pull to get there and how to get there quickly. Um, yeah. and, and you're saying this like superpower of like, you generate all this renewable energy very cheaply, you offset, you get rid of all the fossil fuels, then you actually get into this kind of abundant state rather than a scarcity state. And, um, you know, you can have a lot more prosperity for everybody basically and be cleaner doing it, right? Exactly right. And, and net zero energy generation is one of seven levers that we've identified in our report to the yeah. city. Yeah, so let's, let's dive into that because I, I really uh, want to, let's break it down. Let's start from the, start from the top here. Um, so, so I know the beginning of the, the plan is, is transportation focused, which um, I know plenty of people in, in the climate movement understand it's like 50% of San Diego's emissions, I guess 53%, um, but most people you know, have no idea about that, right? They don't realize that those traffic jams they see outside is primary, the biggest source of pollution and, you know, air pollution also, and, you know, damages health and, you know, wastes our time, right? We're stuck in traffic and all that. So. And the um, idling itself. Idling itself. Yeah. I mean, that, I know you, you pointed that out. Uh, you, maybe we should just talk about that because I think that's interesting, right? Um, like what's, what's going on there, right? We have the border. Um, to me, that's mm -hmm. the biggest source of idling, right? People are waiting two to three yeah. hours in line and they don't stop their car each time. Right. Um, and, and Starbucks lines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Drive-through, right? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's on our side. But um, yeah, can, can anybody want to talk about idling and what you've learned and, and what, what's, what's the real thing there going on? There? Rose, it's your field, so please go ahead. Isn't it? Larry, go. Oh, it's my field, idling? Uh, not necessarily, but I, I know it's not really my field at all. I mean, I don't know what facts. I like you, Sebastian, think that, I mean, even though I was just talking to our pod about this, and I think, you know, they're definitely focused on what can be done here, signs and education at this point, I believe, and, and, and passing policy as well. But I myself look at the elephant in the room as what's happening on the way in, on the way to our border in Mexico. And of course, a lesson that I learned in fight, and I'm embarrassed to say I didn't learn it until law school, but that it was like an epiphany that, oh, pollution doesn't just stop at the, the border <laughs> or in counties like LA. You know, we get in San Diego from bad air, water, whatever, the Tijuana River, all that stuff. And I mean, yeah, so from a selfish perspective, that pollution comes up here, so we should care. It's not just like, oh, it's on their side of the border, it's their problem, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So I think by nationally, it's something that does need to be addressed and, and pronto. It's, it's just horrific that it's like, we're back in cave times, we, we need to address that. And it, I think there's technology that, you know, I, I envision one of those, I think they talked about it for freeways, where you have like a band and it moves around on the street, you know, it just moves, you turn your car off altogether and it will just move like the a car walkway, off. Like a, like a escalator, like, escalator walkway. Like an escalator, exactly. That's exactly, like the airport, exactly right for cars. Yeah. But anyway, um, I'm not sure what more I could say. I'd have to, you know, do a Google search right now to tell you more about Island So I'm not the pro on that. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great point. Um, and I mean, again, I think another point is just that, you know, we're all, I mean, the biggest re revelation is that, you know, we're all on one planet together, right? If you zoom out far enough, I mean, there is no borders, right? And even if you go to that point, so, and right. it's all system too. I mean, it's like you, you dump some trash here or somebody dumps some trash in Indonesia, it comes up to our beach, you know? And it's like, we have to look out for everybody in a sense. And, and I mean, yeah, there's just so much that we could do. I mean, we should be supporting jobs down in Mexico so they don't have to drive here, you know, to, to drive, you know, hundreds, dozens of hours a week. Um, well, yeah. San Diego has the sixth worst air quality measured in ozone pollution yeah. in the country. And a lot of the ozone in our, count, in, in our county comes from LA. It pushes out over the Pacific and then loops back over San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Mexico and China, Southeast Asia, what have you, it all comes, 
It like you said, I, what is it? If I'm saying it right, Etty, everything is um, affects everything. Everything affects everything, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, it's so clear when you start and when we all dive into the environmental issues that everything is related, and it, there's so many inter, there's so much intersectionality. Uh, and then you know, even then, social justice issues like you're talking about with people. Um, yeah, but on the idling issue, I just want to mention, of course, there is technology that is beginning to be implemented, and you'll you'll hear it. You know, there'll be cars at a stoplight, and all of a sudden, the, top, the light turns green and they turn back on. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, encouraging. I mean, hybrid, hybrids turn off the, the batteries. You know, they're able to turn <laughs> off and they turn back on. Actually, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great. But uh, the other thing that I I wanted to bring up that I've I just learned because I've had so many arguments with my friends about this is like the difference between if you're stuck in a line, stuck in like a real traffic jam, not moving, turning off your car versus idling. I, I get some people need air conditioning, but I actually learned that it isn't like you can do it for 30. If you're stopped for 30 seconds or so, it still doesn't really damage your car. It was more back in the old days. It took a lot of damage on the like the catalyzer or something and so you know it's just this kind of misconception of like well you know it, you could just turn off your engine too i mean you know especially if you're waiting in the mexico uh, that that borderline because that is slow um for my yeah the, the communities by that borderline are particularly negatively impacted oh, yeah. with with pollution the air pollution that also reminds me of something else i think joe brought this up to our committee there was discussion in the in our pod we call it a pod because we're supposed to all be equal i just think of dolphins <laughs> but anyway um uh, that we have a poor um measuring we don't have adequate measuring devices throughout the county of san diego and that we need to um we need to get that fixed so that we can tell, for example, in communities of concern, what actually, you know, what kind of pollution is there actually, and then we can work on uh, making that better, both in the short term and the long term. So I just want to ask anybody uh, yeah. to address like any, some of these like solutions for transport or, or some of the big points you brought up in your in your letter. I think those are worth sharing. Yeah, well, the, the first key one, the most important, I think, is to support Sandag's five big moves, which is effectively a high-speed trail, a train network around the county. It will take a while and it's expensive to build, but will get us out of our cars. And as part of that initiative is, is the notion of building a city of villages where each of the train stations becomes a hub for high-density mixed-use housing. And I like the way Portland, uh, Oregon phrases it. They talk about 20-minute uh, neighborhoods, meaning yeah. that within a 20-minute walk yeah. or bicycle ride, you can do 95% of everything you want to do in life Yeah. in but, terms of shopping and, yeah. and, and entertainment and so forth, which will help us get out of our cars. Definitely. Yeah. Lori and I were talking earlier, and you know, one of the stunning statistics about cars is that all of our cars basically sit idle about ninety percent of the time. Right. right? Yeah. So, so we we spend a lot of money, you know, mining and manufacturing these beasts that in, in spending in paying for them and the loans for them and the repairs and the the, the, the fuel and so forth, and then we let them sit idle. Yeah. It's it's a very inefficient yeah. way of running the uh, using planet's resources. Yeah, well, I mean, and that, and that kind of gets to, I mean, we eventually have to go to kind of a car sharing model. I think a, a sharing model in general, you know, are, are the things that cost a lot to produce, you know, it's going to be really hard, especially, you know, in COVID time, nobody, everybody wants their own separate bubble, you know, but uh -huh. uh, um, I, I really do yeah. believe in that kind of community. And, and I, I mean, I, these hubs, right, that, that's, that's bikeable, walkable areas where you can, you can take, the idea is you take transit to another hub, and then you can get, you know, everywhere. I mean, I, I, I really like that idea, especially the thing is they have to build accordingly. And I think that, I think transit and building and zoning and like where things are is just important almost, right? Like if things were oh, located yeah. close to us, we wouldn't need to drive. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then so that brings up the social justice issue too, is that um, there was a, uh, it was on 
I believe it was PBS, and it was a um, podcast, and they, there were it, um, students from, I think, City Heights were interviewed. They tried to get to the beach. Maybe y'all heard this. They were trying to get to the beach with their teacher on a bus, and it wasn't just one bus. It was like three or four buses. It took them at like two hours each way just to get to the beach, and so that's definitely a social justice issue, too, so we have to, we have to consider everybody. Um, also, I wanted to mention that I personally think, after looking into it, that um, I think it's called electrolysis or green hydrogen from water, not brown or blue even, but green hydrogen only. And um, we already have that in the county for bus, uh, North County Transit um, has, uh, they're buying some hydrogen buses and um, Sunline has them out in, um, in the desert. And, um, and anyway, they already have a hydrogen plant and it's already, they're getting it up to scale. And I think I keep my eye on hydrogen power. The only other thing, the only thing I do not like about batteries for me personally as an environmentalist and a lover of the ocean is that now there's an awful lot of seabed mining going on for the lithium ion for the batteries and also across uh, dry uh, lake beds and so forth on native land. So I'm just saying some of the same issues we were looking at, extraction issues for petroleum and natural gas, et cetera, we're, we're now looking at the lithium ion. So I don't think it's a perfect solution, uh, whether it's much less damaging. I think so, I hope so. We have waste from it, so time will tell. I myself do drive an all-electric lithium-ion battery-powered vehicle, but you know, and I charge it with my solar panels that I'm uh, privileged enough to have on my own rooftop. Um, and Joe would love to talk about CCA. I know, so Rose has a point. Yeah. Can I continue yeah. about that hydrogen, though? Yeah. Um, but it's what we want is green hydrogen, and it's green because. The electrolysis is all done by renewables. Yep. And so that's great. And then hydrogen itself can carry the, the power, can carry the electricity. So right. it really cuts down on batteries. Those hydrogen cars are light, uh, and especially for trucks. So if you, if you had trucks to sit and had to do the same thing, they'd have to have a lot of batteries, but the hydrogen cars are, are really wonderful. Yeah, and I've been talking to the and talking to the bus company. Um, they were so nice to talk with us and educate us and do this whole slide presentation. But that's exactly what they were considering. You know how heavy the batteries are. They they considered they did an apples for apples comparison on everything from what yeah. Rose was talking about the weight of the batteries and, and the weight of you know the bus when it's loaded with the batteries and without and maintenance and how long they all last and you know everything from cradle to grave. It's fascinating actually. And though they, they are working though, they are um, optimistic that they will be able to get this up to scale. This is a Sunline, right? The one in like Palm Springs up yeah. down to like Salton Sea area, right? Yes, and also the North County Transit District. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're doing it right now as well. That's happening already, but I believe that they don't use green hydrogen. I believe they have, they use a, I don't remember if it was brown or blue, but it was, a, they have it shipped. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, they have it shipped. So eventually they want to use renewables and get it to get to the point where they're green. And, you know, they're all mandated to do this by the state air board. They're not just doing it because, you know, they're, they just oh, think it's the right thing to do, but that too, I guess. They say they are, but, and I, I believe they are, but also they're being mandated to, to cut their emissions. So they have to look for novel ways and they're just looking for the bottom line, best way, you know, in the short and long run. Sure, and I just wanna make one point here because it's super important what Rose was saying about the hydrogen. So when you, basically California right now, we're already generating way too much renewable energy during the sunny day, the, during the sun, when it's sunny out and when there's all the renewables are going, we actually ground like close to a gigawatt um, of energy because we generate too much. So if you're able to produce hydrogen with that, then you're able to store it and you can use it at night, you can transport it, you can give it to other people, you can sell it. Because um, I mean, even the, the primary use of hydrogen right now is actually the fossil fuel industry. 
they use it yeah. and they they produce it. And that's why we have these different terms, you know, for people don't the blue hydrogen and the brown hydrogen and stuff. Um, if, if we go back to an earlier part of our conversation, yes, we're throwing away a lot of uh, excess, so-called excess energy now, but if we build uh, enough of the power plants, uh, the solar plants to uh, produce the superpower, we will have basically very low cost, almost free energy to, to create uh, blue and green hydrogen, which is what we clearly should be doing. In fact, San Diego could find itself to be the hub of a great deal of hydrogen fuel production. If yeah, we- about storing it, right? So, yeah, well, well, producing it, first of all. I mean, oh, yes, you know, using electrolysis, you've got to split the, the hydrogen and oxygen atoms, right? To, right. to so, so you've got well, no. you the, the energy involved. The What's water, that? Hydrogen, you oxygen. Water. Yeah. yeah. You, you don't split the atoms. <laughs> They're molecules. Oh, the molecules. Yeah. Sorry. Maybe I didn't say it right, but thank you. You've, but, got, you've got the science teacher there on your left. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> Glad to have you, Rose. You got it. <laughs> sorry. Okay. No, you, you did good. So, you know, this, as we were saying, this all ties together. The, 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 the vision is to integrate all of these seven solutions or solution sets, if you will. They, they all play together. They're all really important. Yeah, and we're, we're kind of already easing into this, the next one. So we talked about transportation a decent amount, and then there's electricity production, right? And, and we were just yeah. kind of getting into that, right? And yeah. so most people, I'm sure, know that SDG&E is our only, you know, player and they're owned by a larger company, uh, Sempra, I believe. That's right. And yeah, there, there's a kind of a bit of a drama recently where, um, you know, the, the city had a 50 year deal with SDG&E and it, it came up time to, there's time to, you know, either rebid or, or whatever, get, get a new contract. And um, from what I understand, basically, they were the only ones who bid. And so the city was like, hold on, time out. Like, we got to go back to drawing board. This isn't good. We're not, you know, there were, it's basically like the same person showing up and saying like, oh, you wanted something different, huh? <laughs> you know, it's not, not a great look. So I, I wanted to get your, your take, your take on that. Oh, strong. We have strong feelings about that. Uh, SDG&E uh, announced their earnings a week or two ago for the year 2020, and I think it was something on the order of $865 million. In San Diego City, they're generating a million dollars a day profit. I mean, just profit. I mean, yeah. Imagine if we shift to public power and the public power company works with perhaps the county to site some solar farms and generates the superpower that we're talking about the, that million dollars a day can be distributed around the city, however the city ends up choos choosing to use that. I mean, I have nothing against SDG&E. Their employees could just move over and work for a different company, and the, the million dollars a day or so will flow to, to the residents of the city, which to me makes just a ton of sense. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the stockholders of SDG&E of SDG are, are probably nice people, but they can go get their profits elsewhere, in, in my view. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I'm sorry, did you all see that uh, commercial that they did with the little kids standing in line for the ice cream truck? And then some solar um, purchaser, you know, a home solar uh, owner comes and like knocks over the ice cream cone of the kid and that's like, you know, the evil homeowner with the solar. Uh, what's so funny because they wanted to charge um, um, some what is it the feed-in tariff, Joe? Right. Yeah. yeah and so they they didn't want to be paying the homeowners, the greedy homeowners who would take away, you know, their ice cream, <laughs> the rest of the ratepayers' ice cream. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tying tying this a little bit to the environmental justice story. Yeah. It's it's really clear in my mind anyway that we should. Uh, encourage people and communities of concern to design their own power solutions, their own energy generation solutions, and that they should include solar and batteries mm -hmm. so they have backup and can operate without being on the network. And when they have excess energy, have the opportunity, this is the feed-in tariff story, 
to feed that, to, to provide that energy into the grid and to be compensated for it at retail level at prices, not at wholesale prices. SDG&E wants, of course, to pay wholesale prices, but if they if they pay retail prices, the uh, people they who the own, yeah, they, they get the profit and can build their wealth. They reduce their energy costs and they build their wealth, which just makes tons of sense. Yeah, and, and really great. We, yeah. <laughs> They just, the games need, you just need to force SGG to, to actually do it, right? And and you need basically but the idea is you're creating microgrids in these communities and then yes. you're having the CCA, this community choice uh, energy or CC community choice aggregator. Energy, aggregator, yes, yeah, right. And then that would allow them to to negotiate on their own, right? That's the whole idea of this this program. Yeah, yeah. Gainesville, Florida as a city uh, decided that they would pay thirty-two cents per kilowatt to homeowners who had excess energy on their homes, in their homes. And that 32 cents is of course, dramatically more than it costs to produce the, the energy uh, with, with solar in your home. And as a result, lenders are quite willing to lend with nothing down. They don't care about credit scores because they're gonna be paid back from the, the uh, money that's associated with the power bill. Uh, it, it just has enormous benefits for citizens and solar exploded in Gainesville, uh, you know, as, as soon as anybody could get it, it, it no significant, in fact, their costs of energy went down. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? Right. No. I mean, it's just, you got, you got to get it started. Um, so let's let's jump let's jump to the next one because I think that was that was a great overview. Um, you know, I know you talk about nature and land use, right? So mm -hmm. every year we're destroying our land, and that in and of itself, you know, takes away it it, it costs our, our planet in terms of carbon, um, and and the destruction of that land, right? It's no longer a carbon sink; it it it, it gets exhumed as it gets destroyed, and um, and also our water use, right? That's that's also yeah. Uh, well, if, if you look at the, the land use, I mean, one of the major challenges that we have is biodiversity loss. You know, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Colbert won the Pulitzer Prize for a book titled The Sixth Extinction. You know, we're losing 100 species a day, uh, you know, on the planet. We clearly need to reserve uh, probably ideally half, but I've been reading recently, some people are talking about 30% of the land for non-human beings, you know? San Diego County has the most biodiverse county in the country of the 3,000 counties. We have vast, you know, vast numbers, thousands of, I think it's 3,000 different plants, uh, you know, running in the, living in the valleys and, you know, the, uh, the, the various eco niches that we have in the county, as well as, of course, bobcats and you know, lots of other wonderful, uh, wonderful beings. Uh, we should be nurturing that and making space for them to to share this, share our space with us. Rose, I want to ask you. I mean, you're you're the teacher, and uh, I want to know. You know, what do you think? Like rewilding, right? We need to we need to rewild. We need to oh, nature alone, right? <laughs> yes, we need to. We need first of all. Be, before we talk about rewilding, we just should not build in wilderness areas. It just does not make sense. You know, we talked about the importance of having people in a concentrated way to prevent the the, the transport. You know, the the I can talk the the uh, the greenhouse gases so much. But in this, in moving out to these areas, and unfortunately, you know, around San Marcos, uh, there's a lot of the country that isn't used. And the problem with that is it's ecologically disastrous and, and the wildfires are tremendously, we know, tremendous. And then about uh, the rewilding, yes, uh, we need a lot of green areas in our municipal parks. And, and the trees are a wonderful carbon sink, you know, take with the photosynthesis, they're taking in carbon dioxide, they're purifying water. And so, and they're preventing erosion. Uh, they're just, it's, it's wonderful. And I think we're, 
we also feel very strongly that we need to increase our, our wetlands because uh, that, that, that's where our carbon can really get trapped. Right, so the most efficient carbon sinks, way better than even a forest. Way, right? way better than forest. Yeah. Tropical we forest. Actually really good opportunity here in Mission Bay. Um, there's this yeah. big broken down RV park. And I know the Audubon, the, the Bird Society basically has been pushing to get that, you know, 60 plus acres of, of marshland rebuilt. And I think that that's a really worthy cause that I think everybody should support if they want, you know, to have, a, you know, more more nature, more parks and in, in directly in the middle heart of San Diego. So um, I totally agree with you. I think it's, we have to just start and people will be will love it. I think they really will. Like it's such oh, a better use yeah. of a strip mall or a or a car dealership, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I, I want, anybody want to talk about water because I, I know I've got a river flowing my back, but um, <laughs> I do. River, you know, um, I, it gives it, us the majority of our water. I know you pointed that out in your in your letter. Um, so if anybody wants to talk about that, I'd be really interested. It's, I think it's really yeah. Well, I could start. 80% uh, of San Diego's water comes from outside the county. 70% approximately from the Colorado River. 10% or 11% from the Sacramento River Delta. 19% of all of the energy used in California goes to moving, you know, transporting, heating, and purifying water. I mean, it's absolutely stunning what we do. We are clearly in a place of drought, and it's going to get worse, so the climate models say. The snowpack in the Sierra and the Rocky Mountains is down significantly. The flow in the Colorado River is down 20% from 50 years ago, and it's projected to be down another 20% by mid-century. So we have some beautiful programs, uh, Pure Water San Diego that proposes to have 35%, maybe I've, I've even heard maybe as much as 50% recycled water in the county by uh, 2035 or so. Rebranded um, toilets is, and which, toilet which, to tap to pure water. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. They don't call it that anymore. I can remember seeing the Union Tribune and no more. I'm sorry to interrupt, Joe. I just had. Oh, it's okay. We clearly have huge opportunities to do rainwater capture, to to improve our infrastructure in in that area. Huge area. Huge opportunities to do more conservation, and in. Recycling of our water and the desal that you were talking about. Yeah, and all of those are good good programs. But at the end of the day, if we did everything we could uh, with with all of the conservation and, and uh, recycling programs, we're still going to be imported importing lots of water. So my personal view is we should pick a time and you know let's say say arbitrarily for the moment uh, twenty seventy to be 100% independent of any other sources of water, which means we have to do desal. We clearly know how to do that really well. Uh, we're doing it in Carlsbad, you know, brilliantly. And if we get to be 100% self-reliant with respect to water uh, locally used, used within the county, we will be able to relieve the use of the Colorado River that we're, we're tapping into right now so heavily. And there's no doubt in my mind that Las Vegas and Phoenix are, and, and the, the farmers in the Imperial Valley uh, will be able to benefit from that water. There's a, in 2014, there was a law passed in California to limit groundwater extraction for agriculture. And there's a, possibility right now that Kern County, one of the most farm productive counties in our Central Valley, will have to follow one third of its growing area, about a million acres, because there's not enough water, not enough groundwater to keep growing food in, in, in the valley. And so if we didn't import that water to San Diego, it could presumably be used for, for farming and for food production. 
So right. we are we are blessed with a coast. We should okay. use it. Yeah. We should use it. I just chime in, and I I don't disagree with Joe, but I you know I just know that that there are uh, side effects or environmental consequences, of course, for the desal plant. Yeah. As with everything, as I mentioned, with uh, lithium ion batteries and solar panels, I mean, any, any technological um, advancement, I, I'm not, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but I just want to note there is no silver bullet, and yet we have to move forward with what we have um, and with technology and uh, locally for sure with our community, and I just wanted to note that um, you can see the positive feedback systems from, you know, the longer we wait and the higher that the um, Celsius uh, that we get centigrade, that we go, that the higher the temperature gets and climbs, that we'll have, we'll continue to have more positive feedback system. And with that, in combination with the carrying capacity of humans on our planet, you know, and our, our need to just feed ourselves and house ourselves and transport ourselves, et cetera. I mean, the situation becomes more dire. So it's critical, in my opinion, that whatever we do, we do it post haste and we get moving as quickly as possible to implement whatever policies we need to make these things happen. And using the best available science that we have, the best technologies and our you know best knowledge about carbon sinks and how to use those uh, to, to, to um, to, to uh, sequester carbon the best that we can right now. We just, we have to get started. Yeah, I mean, we have so many solutions. I mean, clearly you're, you've brought so many solutions to the table and there, there are, there are all, they all are out there. Um, and I just, I just wanna say that, um, well, first of all, we're, we're gonna have to make tough choices, you know, and the, the sooner we can act on it, the, the, the more we can avoid, the more damage we can, because we're already on this catastrophic course. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, and, but I do want to push back a little bit on the, on the lithium thing, because um, I do believe that problem is act. So actually lithium is not the main component of these batteries. It's actually a combination of other rare earth metals like nickel. Um, and, and that they've also been able to use iron. Uh, so we actually have a battery, it's a lithium iron. And that is actually much more plentiful. It's, uh, it's heavier, um, but it's much more durable, longer lasting. Um, and it works really great. We have, a, we have a solar and we have this lithium iron phosphate battery. Um, and it actually is really, has really impressive spe specs on that. And the thing about lithium, it, it, because I saw uh, the Tesla, Elon Musk's, the bat battery day they had. So they've actually secured enough lithium to produce you know, enough ba batteries to replace the entire uh, US car, car fleet and, and possibly the world. So lithium is actually really abundant. Uh, it's about how, filtering it out of the, the ground um, and in a, in a safe way where you can just take the lithium out and drop the dirt back where it was. So uh, I was, when I saw that, I was very encouraged. Like at least there's, there's some very, very smart people working on, on solving our, our supply shortages in that regard. Um, but, but I do want to say with the desal, desalination, I mean, yes, you're pulling in water from the ocean and then shooting some stuff back out. And there's obviously stuff that gets, you know, churned up in the process and, and ecosystems are disrupted. So we have to, there's always probably smarter ways of doing it and there's better ways we can do it. But, you know, we're going to have to go to, to the ocean. I mean, we're right on the coastline here and it is way better than taking it from the Colorado River, in my opinion. I mean, I think we're we're going to have to make trade-offs here at some point. Um, and, and it's about, you know, what gets us the most bang for our buck and what can we implement the fastest, I think. So um, just kind of want to like set, set the tone of that a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, um, in my mind, you know, we, we set this, all these governments are, even the Paris Climate Accord, right? We set this goal and we are not meeting it at all. We are not keeping pace at all. Our emissions are going up, I think already since, since COVID you know, began like this year, we're already on an upward trajectory. Um, and yeah, we really need, as citizens, we need to hold our governments and, and officials to account to this because we are not, we're not moving in the right direction quickly enough. I mean, that, I think that's the point I just wanna ask, you know, do you agree? And, and what do you think, you know? Agree, agree 100%. December of 2020, emissions were 2% higher than they were the prior year, even though we were still in COVID. 
right? There have been reports. There have been reports in the last week or two from the UN that you know we're nowhere near where we have to be. In fact, I um, I attended a lecture by David Victor, a professor at UCSD, who was one of the writers of one of the authors of the IPCC report in 2018. Mm-hmm. He walked in and threw his books down on the lectern, and he said, "There's no way in hell we're going to stay below two degrees." Mm-hmm. And then he went, he went went on to explain that. And I yeah. mean, he was he was frustrated and frustrated and angry and and, yeah. and all of that. One of the dilemmas uh, in in this sense is we there have been articles in the San Diego Union recently about the city using bogus data to say they've made progress and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the core, question, core question is if we, can't, if we can't measure it, how do we know that we're managing this problem well? And that's, that's another one of the topics from our report that, that worth, is, is worth a few moments of talk, discussion. Yeah, we've, we've come across uh, Project Vulcan and Project Hestia. Mm-hmm. From from uh, uh, Vulcan's been going on for 15 years. Research, it's sponsored by the National Institute of Standards and Technology and NASA, uh, headed by a professor at Northern Arizona University. And we hope to have him soon giving a lecture in the county, you know, via Zoom for for all of us who are interested. In, in what they're doing and do it in conjunction with UCS, uh, sorry, uh, USD, a uh, professor who's been involved in uh, EPIC, the uh, group that manage, or that measures emissions for the county and city of San Diego and others. And we hope to have them together uh, presenting on the state of the art. But I've, I've looked at some of the Vulcan output and we'll hopefully we'll get that output for San Diego County very soon but they can identify, Vulcan identifies emissions on a per kilometer basis for the whole country. And that data is available now in Hestia, which is not available for San Diego County yet. It is in some other other places in the country, but can actually identify emissions for individual buildings. If we put these- Can it total it up? Can it tell you? Yeah, yeah, it can tell you how much and where it's coming from. And I mean, it's, it's CO2 emissions, right? Of course. Uh, not, not, not all of the emission types, but CO2 is a good place to start. If we get that data, we can identify exactly where the worst offenders are. And now we, then we have the tools to say, you know, go deal with those emissions. There'll always be a worse, but we can keep working that to, to reduce, you know, to, to uh, uh, go after the big offenders, so to Could speak. Could you potentially see uh, methane leaks? Because I know that's a huge problem. Yes, yes, it, it does do that. It does, yeah. And there are like 4 million um, uh, either gas, oil or gas wells around the country that, that are candidates for leaking, and many of them are, you know. Can I ask one more question? Because I'm because I, I heard right about this. It's actually like Al Gore is funding this project too. It's like a data one where it's global and it's able to track the emissions, like, uh, you know, similar to how you're talking about. Have you, any of you heard of that? I mean, I, I don't know how off the top of my head, but. Okay. I, I don't know about it. Okay. Rose, Lori, do you? No, 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 no. Uh, I'll need to do my research on that one. <laughs> Let us know, Sebastian, but we'll look too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I We're that. always looking things up. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, think it's called, I'm just Googling right now, Climate Trace. Yes, the Trace program, exactly. Climate Trace. Huh. So that's that's something that's on the books that uh, that's that should be coming up. Again, I think it's so, if you can't track, you can't measure progress, if you don't distribute that power for people to observe it on their own, how can they hold them accountable, you know? How, yeah. You know, we could just, it's like the Dieselgate thing, like you didn't know your emissions were bad till till, you know, they're like, oops. We changed the computer, so it said something different. Sorry, <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. So awesome! This has been really, really great conversation. I really enjoyed all your points and everything. I, I just want to, you know, we're going to wrap up, and I want to ask all three of you one question, and that is, what are you grateful for? I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful most of all. I'm I'm the nature girl, the tree lover. I just love 
I love nature. I love the plants and the animals. Mm -hmm. And uh, once in class, I, we did a brain test. And this one of my students said, now, spiritual, does it mean that you believe in God? And I said, you know, that's a personal choice. But for me, I, I have spiritual feelings when I'm out in nature. And, yeah. and so that's what I'm most grateful for. Well, you also love vegetables because you got the periodic table of vegetables behind you. <laughs> yes, thank you, for, thank you for noticing. I had to point it I, out. I had to point it out. I, and not that many people noticed that. So good for you, Sebastian. <laughs> Where were you when I was teaching chemistry? Oh, man. <laughs> I, I got your brother anyway. Yes. I, was, I, was in a, I was in bio class. <laughs> the other, uh, Johnson, Mr. Johnson. Oh, yes. My good friend, yeah. Yes, that's Well, thank you very much. Oh, I, that's what I'm grateful for. What are you grateful for, Laurie? Most grateful. Uh, first, I guess I should say not taking for granted my health and the health of my family and those that are close to me. Um, I am grateful for, I guess, my uh, awareness or coming of awareness, starting to be aware of um, issues that were all around me all the time. I guess I'm referring to BIPOC issues, uh, things I didn't really understand before. And I'm grateful for the beautiful place where we live and um, I could go on. There's a lot to be grateful for. Vaccines uh, coming and uh, the end of COVID, I hope. But yes, and thank you so much for having me, Sebastian. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sebastian. Yeah, definitely. Joe? Joe? Oh, I'd say in, in the context of our discussion today, I'm grateful for all of my friends that are engaged in this challenge with us. You know, we're, we're, we're doing this together and it's, it's, it's just wonderful to be able to share the, uh, the, the challenge and the fun and the research and the building relationships based on that. I'll second that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, just the, the opportunity, I think for me, it's the opportunity to, to transform how we live our lives. Like I want to, I want, you know, by the time I'm you know, 10, 20 years from now, I want to have a totally different society where, we're, where our values are different, where what we cherish is different. I, I think, again, nature to me and, and respecting nature and being in nature, hiking is one of the most beautiful experiences we can, we can really uh, just have in our life. I think it's, it is my, you know, it is my church. It is my, um, it is sacred. You know, I think we need to, we need to bring back what is sacred, what is valuable from you know, it being God or in the sky and bring it back to like what we see around us. So I um, love that. Um, yeah. I wish that for you, Sebastian, in 20, 30 years, I wish a beautifully restored natural planet that's in balance for you and your generation and the generations to come. Thank you. Well said. Well said. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. And, thank you, uh, Sebastian. And we'll hope to have you again when, they, when the city gets back to you, right? <laughs> we, we look forward to it, Sebastian. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye, Rose. Bye, Lori. Bye.